I never listen to Dumbledore. Rennie is the best part. <laughs> the following broadcast may contain free thinking and open-minded discussion, ideas, skepticism, and adult subject matter. Topics will be discussed using adult language, sometimes gratuitously. Get ready to move the conversation forward. This ain't your granddad's news and comment show. This is I Doubt It with Dollamore. All right, welcome to the show and thank you for joining us. Episode 392 of I Doubt It with Dollamore. I am your host, as always, Jesse Dollamore, and seated directly next to me, almost a little too cozy. The lovely, talented, and scholarly, warm-blooded Brittany Page. Well, that's how you like it, because you... A little snuggly. Yeah, you told me that I am too far away, so we had to adjust things. No, and... that was when we took the little screenshot for the thumbnail. Well, whatever it is. It's also for the, <laughs> it's also for the, the live stream, because we're doing the live stream right now for everybody. For everybody. Yeah, not just the $10 and up patreon supporters but everybody that's so, right the, yeah it, it is those supporters on patreon and we're not it's not going to be a commercial here but uh it's those supporters on patreon who make it, it make it uh possible mm-hmm. for the youtube audience at large to watch the show and be exposed to the show yes helping produce the show correct that is awesome mm-hmm. so before we move on um that's a that is a, a wildly shitty segue just before we move on. That's what you do. We're moving on. Yeah. Um, <laughs> we went to the March for Our Lives Los Angeles edition. Yeah. Yesterday. Mm-hmm. And hundreds of thousands, I would, for sure over a million people nationwide turned out. I, I don't know what the official count was for, for Los Angeles, but we went to the tax march last year. Yeah. A couple of years ago. Mm-hmm. Oh, no, last year. Yeah. April 15th, uh, 2017. And it seemed to me there was at least five times as many people here because when everybody starts at the starting point, which is about Pershing Square, Mm -hmm. Sixth and Grand or whatever it is, downtown LA, um, once you march up to the the city hall Mm -hmm. for the tax march, there was all kinds of room on the lawn after the march. Oh, yeah. And there wasn't a goddamn place to stand when everybody got up there uh, yesterday. No. It was, the march wasn't even finished yet. Yeah. And there was, we left. There yeah. Was, we, we, we spied uh, that that kid from uh, Young Turks interviewing mm-hmm. some people. Hassan. Hassan. We saw Amy Schumer. We saw Amy Schumer. Walking through the crowd with her bodyguard. And it was... You couldn't move. It was insane. Yeah, it was very yeah. stressful. You couldn't move. Uh, it was asshole to elbow. And when as they when say. we left the actual area, there's this lawn area in front of City Hall, which was the end place, and you couldn't move in that area. And so we eventually got out, and there was still, I mean, thousands of people trying to get to that location. Yeah. Well, how many? How how far down did the crowd go? I took some video. I'll put it up on the channel. I tomorrow. have no idea. Um, I mean. Thousand upon thousand upon thousand, because yeah. it went back at least a quarter mile. The street just packed elbow to elbow to elbow. Yeah, <laughs> elbow. <of people>. Um, <laughs> I 
I love that when we were leaving, I checked my email and I had an email from um, I'm signed up for the Donald Trump mailing list and <laughs> I got an email from well, that's him. That's what happens when you go get tickets to go to a rally and see the insanity. Now they gotcha. Yeah, well, no, I think I think someone signed me up and I just haven't unsubscribed. But I, I like getting them because I like to see what's going on. Like like this one. Yeah. The subject line said, I need allies <laughs> in all caps. <laughs> I need allies. And I said, uh oh, somebody's watching the coverage of March for Our Lives. It's almost like uh, th- that's the equivalent of help! I know. Help! <laughs> There's so many people against me. What am I going to do? Well, I liked it because it came, because I got the same email, and yeah. it came right after mm-hmm. my March for Our Lives email. Oh. So it's like, you get that, and then he's like, oh, shit, guys. Yeah. I need some allies here because yes. we're being we're inundated with the opposition. Yeah. You know he was watching the coverage. Yes. So... Uh, it was a good time. Yeah. Um, so many people. It's hard for me to kind of operate mm-hmm. in in that, but it, it was great. We saw some listeners who who came up to us and yeah. and said hi and got some photos. Yeah, which is always shocking to me mm-hmm. that people will one recognize our dumbasses or my mm-hmm. dumbass. Of course, they're going to recognize you, but then. Uh, the fact that there's so many thousands of people and we happen to bump into people. Yeah. Although we didn't bump into people we wanted to see. Yeah. We wanted to see listeners too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like Ryan Bell. We didn't even see that guy. Mm-hmm. And we had actually communicated about meeting up. Yeah, well, it got crazy. So <laughs> it for sure did. It got out of control. Well, it also, because it was nationwide and the, the, the flagship march was in Washington, D.C. Yeah. We wanted to share some of what went on, some of the speeches. And there was one particular speech... That really touched Brittany, moved Brittany. You think that's an apt descriptor? Mm-hmm. And we wanted to share that with you. This happened in Washington, D.C. My name is Naomi, and I'm 11 years old. <laughs> Me and my friend Carter led a walk out at our elementary school on the 14th. We walked, out, we walked out for 18 minutes, adding a minute to honor Cortland Arrington, an African-American girl who was the victim of gun violence in her school in Alabama after the Parkland shooting. I am here today to represent Cortland Arrington. I am here today to represent Hadia Pendleton. I, I am here today to represent Tiana Thompson, who at just 16 was shot dead in her home here in Washington, D.C. I am here today to acknowledge and represent the African-American girls whose stories don't make the front page of every national newspaper. (laughs) Whose stories don't lead on the evening news. I represent the African-American women who are victims of gun violence, who are simply statistics instead of vibrant, beautiful girls that pull up potential. It is my privilege to be here today. I am indeed full of privilege. My voice has been heard. I am here to acknowledge their stories, to say they matter, to say their names, because I can, and I was asked to be. For far too long, these names, these black girls and women, have been just numbers. I'm here to say never again for those girls too. I 
am here to say that everyone should value those girls too. People have said that I am too young to have these thoughts on my own. People have said that I am a tool of some nameless adult. It's not true. My friends and I might still be 11, and we might still be in elementary school, but we know. We know life isn't equal for everyone, and we know what is right and wrong. We also know that we stand in the shadow of the Capitol, and we know that we have seven short years until we, too, have the right to vote. So I'm here today to honor the words of Toni Morrison. If, if there's a... If there's a book that you want to read, but it hasn't been written yet, you must be the one to write it. I urge everyone here and everyone who hears my voice to join me in telling the stories that aren't told. To honor the girls, the women of color who were murdered at disproportionate rates in this nation. I urge each of you to help me write the narrative for this world and understand so that these girls and women are never forgotten. Thank you. So, are you kidding me? It's inspiring. 11 years old. Yeah, it's unbelievable. The power of that speech, the power of her voice at 11 years old. If that doesn't give you hope for the future, it's not the kind of future you're looking for or you weren't listening. Because that little girl inspires me and gives me hope that the future is ripe with strong, intelligent, compassionate, selfless leaders. 11 years old. Seriously. 11 years old. It's incredible. I (laughs) wouldn't have been able to deliver as impassioned a seemingly no nerves speech in front of hundreds of thousands of people. There's there's something special about all of these kids. And I think that something that was unique about the DC event was either all of the speakers were kids or mo- mostly kids mm-hmm. and all of them get up there and carry themselves so well yeah, and yeah. Uh, they're so articulate and um Naomi was was my personal favorite just because um of the power and of what she spoke about and she's 11. <laughs> well listen, I've always been a, a guy who was interested in politics. From the time I was, you know, 6 years old, I was keenly aware and interested in politics. But at 11 years old, I wasn't thinking, you know what? Adults if you're not going to take care of the world that you've brought me into, mm-hmm. I only have seven years before I vote. Right. And I'm going to take charge of right. this and I'm going to do it myself. Right. I didn't have that. And that is clearly what we're hearing from not only the 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 young men and women, mm-hmm. the children mm-hmm. who are presently on the precipice of being able to vote. Mm-hmm. In this next cycle, these right. kids from Parkland, right. kids all over the country right now are are very aware of what's happening. Right. And adults like 
Rick Santorum, who we're going to hear from shortly. We're going to get to that. They can keep telling them that they aren't doing anything or that their voice doesn't matter because they're young and that they're just being told what to do. They're puppets, whatever. Um, well, they'll vote soon, and then you'll see. They will vote them into obscurity. Right. Or all already, the... That viewpoint is already a dinosaur. They will finish off the job of extinction. Or all the people saying that the march didn't accomplish anything, doesn't mean anything, because it isn't actual action, or yeah. whatever people have been saying. Too well, chill. just wait until they vote. How about that? Is that going to be enough action for you? Because when when we were at the march in L.A., I heard several people saying, uh, register to vote here. Sign up, right? Get some information about how to vote here. Um, And they do early registration here in California. And I heard that, too, at the the march. This issue is not so prevalent for California because we are a deep, deep blue state. But all over the country, there is a, a, a rallying cry among youth millennials who are going to take back this country and run it the way that it should to take back the power from the NRA and these other lobbying groups that are in the pocket of special interest. The gun manufacturers who in turn buy politicians who are in the pocket of the NRA, who is also in the pocket of the gun manufacturers lobby. This it has been a long-fought war, if you forgive my metaphor, that is soon to come to an end just based on the demographics that we're facing right now. That, that, that baby boomers, there is an attrition rate of baby boomers. There's like 77 million baby boomers who, because of their age, are they're dying. And so there's going to be less of that population. And that's happening at the exact same moment that millennials are coming of age. And there is an almost equal number of them. So all of the old guard Republican votes that came by virtue of the baby boomer generation are being replaced almost on a one-for-one basis with a liberal, progressive, Democrat vote. So if you've been discouraged, keep your chin up, keep your head up, because it is a short while before this midterm and the next midterm and come 2020, (laughs) it's going to be a different story told. Now, let's transition to kind of what we were just talking about with this Naomi girl. Rick Santorum was on CNN and... Van Jones, I'm going to play this. It's two clips that happened, one connected. It's there, There's no split between the two. And Van Jones is expressing the same kind of thing that we're talking about, being impressed with these kids. Right. Let's play that before we get to what Rick Santorum said. One of the things I think is most impressive about these young people it was, you know, uh, thoughts and prayers was usually the slogan after something like this. And then they changed it to enough is enough. Fine. That's, and then yesterday, vote them out. Mm-hmm. That's when I looked up. Wait a minute. They're not talking about emotion. They're talking about strategy. Vote them out. Now, it is a very tough hill for them to climb. Uh, young people usually do not vote in midterm elections at all. Um, and, and, and even uh, last time they overpromised in the uh, presidential and didn't show up. But if... You know, intensity matters in a midterm. It really does matter. 
And if they can find a way to turn this intensity into some real victories where they knock off some people, they could change the dynamic. Now, if they think it's going to be as easy as it was yesterday, this is not getting a March permit is not the same as doing voter registration and turnout. It's the toughest stuff in politics. But if they do it, they can make a huge difference in November. I like that he's being realistic there. Because it is. It's motivating when you get go out and you march and it's, it's exciting. And it does make a difference because it sends a message to leaders. Right. But this is realistic because there's a grind coming up. Registering voters, knocking, canvassing in your neighborhood. That's the tough work that isn't sexy. It's not, it's not, uh, you're not on camera. Right. But even at these marches, like, like I said, we heard people saying these things, that there, there was information about registering to vote. Sure. And so I think that even though people like to kind of trot out these talking points of, well, people just like to be in the crowd. They just like to feel like they're doing something. Well, No, I mean, this is actually a movement that has goals. And in order to reach those goals, they know what they need to do. They are organized. Right. And there are people that are helping make that happen by by registering people to vote, by emphasizing, listen, we can't just get out here in March. We need to continue this momentum. We need to do something. We need to make sure that you're voting. Here in California, they do early registration for 16 and 17 year olds. Yeah. It is going to be a massive wave, and we're looking forward to it here in in Orange County where we live. Right. Because we have one of the worst congressmen who actually represents Brittany and I both, uh, Dana Rohrbacher, who is, (laughs) he's known as Putin's favorite congressman. Yeah. And Orange County is traditionally, and I want to go too local here with our politics, that's for another episode that's coming out this next week. Um, Teaser. But... It is very, has traditionally been very red here. Mm -hmm. Our airport is John Wayne Airport. (laughs) It's very Republican. Yeah. This is, Reagan turned this place red in the 80s, and it never went back. Well, that is changing. Largely because of the youth. Yeah. Hillary Clinton won Orange County by Mm -hmm. a few points, Mm -hmm. which was unheard of. Yeah. Even with the... The, the groundswell of support that Trump somehow found, that didn't happen here. Right. All across the nation, millennials are going to bring this thing home. And then after their generation, the 11-year-olds and the 9-year-olds, that seems like a long time, but seven years... Think about where you were seven years ago. Yeah. (laughs) Not very long ago. Well, and this is just one 11-year-old who had the opportunity to be on the stage. Imagine how many other kids across the country are starting to get that political bug, where they're starting to be interested in this, starting to learn about it. And if they're starting that young... Yeah. It... Well, I think what happens is, or what very well could be happening, is these younger kids, when you're a kid, you don't really have the concept that you can make a difference. Hmm. And they're watching their classmates and their age peers make a difference. Yeah. It's got to spark something in kids. Yeah. Well, and this is also a different time where they're more connected. So they can see 
Emma Gonzalez on TV, and then yeah. they can go follow her on Twitter. The, the and, connected thing, for sure. Yeah, and the the activism seems more personal this time because they are having the same experiences in their school, where they're having to have these lockdown drills, where they're feeling terrified, and they're probably connected to Emma Gonzalez on Twitter, right? On you know the the, the platform, right? And so all these messages are resonating, yeah. and then they also have access to them, and making it feel more personal. I think is increasing yeah, their that's awareness. Awesome. Well, hopefully they are watching CNN and watching ding-dongs like Rick Santorum tear into kids calling for gun laws that eh, they should just take care of themselves and quit asking for other people to solve these problems for them, which is asinine. They're kids. Who else are they going to ask about Writing new legislation and creating gun reform in this country, they can't charge Congress. Let, let's get to the clip before I lose my mind. Voter registration and turnout is the toughest stuff in politics. But if they do it, they can make a huge difference in November. And it's still several months away. That's important to note. And you said they have an uphill climb. Uh, Florida Senator Marco Rubio, Senator Santorum. Really spelled that out in in a in a, a statement he made. He said, "I commend those who today are peacefully exercising their First Amendment rights to march in favor of a gun ban. However, many other Americans do not support a gun ban. They too want to prevent mass shootings, but view banning guns as an infringement on the Second Amendment rights of law-abiding citizens that ultimately will not." prevent these tragedies. Yeah, I mean, this is the bottom line. Is this a political effort? Is this a political movement? <clears throat> Very well, maybe, and that's fine. I mean, if, if the organizers, people who certainly supported it, uh, the Hollywood elites and the, and the liberal billionaires who, who funded this, it's all about politics. Is this really all about politics or is it all about keeping our schools safe? Because it is about keeping our schools safe. Then we have to have much broader discussion than the discussion that's going on right now. How about kids, instead of looking to someone else to solve their problem, do something about maybe taking CPR classes or trying to deal with with situations that with there is a violent shooter but that you can How are they looking at other people? To to, I, I would ask you. They took action. Yeah, they took action to ask someone to pass a law. They didn't take action to say, "How do I, well, as an individual?" deal with this problem? How am I going to do something about stopping bullying within my own community? What am I going to do to actually help respond to a shooter? What am I going to do? Those are the kinds of things where you can take it internally and say, here's how I'm going to deal with this. Here's how I'm going to help the situation instead of going and protesting and saying, oh, someone else needs to pass a law to protect me. So now kids are expected to save their dying classmates to... Yeah, it's become certified in some sort of CPR or something else that they can save their classmates when they're shot. That's what he's saying. He makes a lot of sense, Brittany. What what he's saying is every child in America, because of the scourge of gun violence, needs to go out and learn how to be a paramedic and also maybe learn some ninja, some Jason Bourne skills in in the meantime so he can thwart they can thwart an attack with some ninja moves. Yeah. What a dick. I also love this bullying narrative that they keep trying to yeah. <laughs> force down everyone's throat because the shooters are always specific types of people. Okay. And there are many different types of people that have their lives ruined from bullying. Yeah. I'm thinking of like LGBTQ Americans. Um, Women, women get bullied. Are they yes. shooting up their schools? Right. Well, it, it's also 
Let's look at this Parkland case, for instance. Mm-hmm. I don't think this was like an isolated loner. Mm-hmm. This He was pissed off because his girlfriend was dating somebody else. I mean, mm-hmm. he was a social kid. Right. Everyone knew this kid. Mm-hmm. It did, it, for, from all accounts that I've read, he doesn't seem to be your, your, your bullied type. But also, you know, there was a tweet going around. Somebody shared it on the Facebook page that, that a guy says, it's very funny that for months and months we've been hearing... Facts don't care about your feelings, you fucking snowflakes. And now that same crowd is saying, oh, well, if only you'd be nice to the sad kid, there wouldn't be any shootings. All you got to do is care about their, the little snowflakes' feelings. It is Which amazing. is it, you dickholes? It is amazing. Just rank hypocrisy, that just shifting the argument when it, when it suits your particular agenda. Piss off, Rick Santorum. How about kids, instead of looking to someone else to solve their problem? The other thing is trying to use this distancing, isolating language, talking about Hollywood elites and liberal billionaires. Mm -hmm. Let me tell you, the over one million people, a, a million Americans who took time out of their Saturday to march yesterday... We weren't arm in arm and shoulder to shoulder with a bunch of billionaires or Hollywood elites. Mm -hmm. They're everyday Americans who care about the lives of kids, who care about the lives of fellow Americans, Mm -hmm. who care about the problem, the very real problem of gun violence and easy access to weapons of war in America. No, they're all paid protesters. God, it's so... Rick Santorum... I used to feel bad for Rick Santorum. Really? Well, when Dan Savage gave him the nick, used his name. <laughs> if you Google Santorum, I don't know how much detail I want to go into about what Santorum, the name is, what mm-hmm. the word is supposed to mean, mm-hmm. according to Dan Savage, which really, when you Google Santorum, it's the first hit in Google, I think. Good times. It's not Rick Santorum. Mm-hmm. It's the other Santorum. Yeah. I tell you what, do yourself a favor. Give yourself a little treat and Google just Santorum. Yeah. (laughs) It's just ridiculous. No, not the name. That's funny. Mm -hmm. But I used to feel bad for this guy. Yeah. But then he goes and he does shit like this. He says shit like this. Mm -hmm. It's one thing to have differing views about how to deal with gun violence and what kind of gun reforms we need or if we need gun reforms. That's a political argument. You have a different idea about the Second Amendment. That is how policy gets made and how laws get changed, just through earnest, honest debates. But for you to say this... How about kids, instead of looking to someone else to solve their problem... How about kids, rather than looking for others to solve their problems? They are kids, Are they supposed to storm the U.S. Capitol and hijack the operation and change the laws themselves? That's not how it works, dickhole. Moron. I don't like to use the word offensive, but this should offend every clear-thinking American, even conservatives should be offended by that line of thought. Who are these lazy, freeloading kids? They want adults to protect them? (laughs) Millennials, 
just want something for nothing. Mm-hmm. What a jag off. Yeah. So that happened. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Really got you fired up there. Uh, it's, it's aggravating. I, wait, can you tell? Yeah, well, I don't. I don't think Rick Santorum has ever been impressive, though. I, I remember. No. I remember feeling surprised when CNN hired him as a regular commentator because I. I don't think he. I don't think he's cut out for that job. I think every time he gets ready to say something, he looks really stressed out, and then he inevitably says <laughs> something very dumb. So he I, looks stressed out. I just, what am I going to say? Yeah, I just I don't think that he. I don't think it's going well. That's a former United States senator from the state of Pennsylvania. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, bizarre. <laughs> Just bizarre. So let's move on. Mm-hmm. We'd love to know your thoughts on this. 657-464-7609 for next episode. Or, of course, you can always email a voice memo from your smartphone to idoubtit at dollamore.com. We got an email from a listener. Or do you want to do uh, Darius first? We can do an email. Let's do the email. So we should set this up, though. We shouldn't just go into it. Yeah. Uh, so we talked about Katy Perry on the last episode. Uh, someone called in and said that they uh, thought it was interesting what happened on American Idol, where Katy Perry kissed the 19-year-old man uh, who had never been kissed because he had never been in a relationship. And he said that he was saving his kiss for his, being in a relationship. Yeah, And... Katy Perry called him over to the the judge's table and gave him a kiss against his will. And basically, the caller just said that this was kind of an interesting situation, wanted our opinion on it. We gave our opinion, and then we got an email from a listener, and they were not happy about this. So here we go. The subject line is, I thought you wanted to move the conversation forward. As soon as I saw the subject line, I was, oh, yikes. Here we go. I have been listening for a while and am a fan. I just have to share. I was so excited to see a new episode show in my playlist, and I immediately hit play. At the 1505 mark, I had to stop it. The triggers your commentary gave me opened up several wounds. You were discussing the televised assault by Katy Perry. The scoffs that you gave suggested that this wasn't serious wounds me deeply. So does your repeated observance that he didn't seem bothered. First of all, this was meant as a trick. That was her entire joke. Ha ha, this man doesn't want to kiss by her and she is going to turn her head at just the right moment. Ew. You know, I scoffed too a couple of years ago. I scoffed when my friends insisted that I slow down and process after I had been assaulted by a man in a public restroom. I told them it wasn't that big of a deal. He had just been watching me and masturbating without my consent. And darn it, just scared me because it reminded me of past trauma. But he didn't hurt me. I got away when he tried to force himself into the stall. No big deal, right? It took ser- it seriously took their reaction for me to realize that my trauma was real and I wasn't being dramatic by feeling violated. This young American Idol contestant felt violated. He repeatedly said he did in his own words. Yet Jesse said he felt it was a ploy. You know, nonverbal and verbal body language when you are violated does not indicate a victim's feelings. It's fight, flight, or freeze. Sometimes freezing looks like a victim is cool with what happened. I'm very disappointed in your commentary. I am also a mom of a 19-year-old man and three teen daughters. 
If any of my children had an unwanted advance, no matter the sex of my child, the fame of their abuser or even the intent of their abuser, because Katie was just a jokester, right? I would take it seriously. This young man has every right to his reaction. I believe him and I believe he didn't want this kiss. I'm still a fan of your show, but I'm also very disappointed. Jesse, for me, you are usually the best part. Your listener, Mary in Colorado. Wow. Well, Mary, uh, let, let me say this, first of all. Uh, I don't want to be disappointing. And your trauma is very real. No one would discount what you went through. No one would say, let me say this, and this might be shitty, but those friends of yours, I'm using air quotes here, they're shitty people. Someone who tells you, well, maybe you should just process it. He didn't hurt you. They're not looking out for your best interest. Th that's shitty. That's terrible. Now that I'm rereading the email, I think it was her friends that actually helped her realize. Oh, helped her process. That it was actually not good and that she was originally the one scoffing. Oh, okay, okay. Well, then I, I retract. Right. <laughs> so I, I think that... Um, I think that what we're talking about here is is two very different things. Um, Mary, you're describing someone um, observing you in a public restroom and masturbating and then trying to force their way into the stall to rape you. That's what happened. Um, that is horrifying. I am so glad that you're okay. I am so sorry that you went through that. Um, I don't know that that's a fair comparison to what Katy Perry did on the set of American Idol while cameras were rolling. Um, I also think that it's important to take the victim's own words into account. And that's something that we actually are going to do now because we went to find interviews with him. He didn't get through his audition. He didn't make it onto the show. He also um, doesn't really, well, not doesn't really, he absolutely does not categorically refer to this as a trauma. No. In fact, he says that if he had the opportunity, he would do it again. And that he actually takes Katy Perry's side. That's what he says. So I don't, I don't know if any um, assault survivor that would say that kind of thing. Let's, let's also, before we play the clips, before we go to the clips of Benjamin Glaze, uh, let, let me also say this, um, Mary. I'm... I'm bombed that you stopped it at 1505, episode 391, because th the theme of our conversation was that because of the way I've been programmed and the way I think about things, initially, my reaction was this. But after some Britney prodding and explaining and us having a conversation about it, I said, no, no. Ultimately, Brittany, you are right. It's me fighting against my, my, just my initial instincts. But it, but ultimately, you were right. I just had to think about it. Yeah, but it, so I can't be blamed because I initially, <laughs> you know, don't don't think it's a problem. But then once I think about it, oh yeah, that is a problem. Yeah, but I also don't think Mary liked what I had to say because she didn't comment on anything that that I had to say. So I don't, I don't think she was necessarily down with w the points that I was making either. Yeah. Who knows? Well, also um, if you stop it at halfway through the conversation, you don't listen out, finish it out. You're not going to get the full width and breadth of the conversation. 
Yeah, but I will say this too. We love getting these emails and surprisingly, it's always these weird little topics that (laughs) uh, set people off the most. Yeah. We talk about all kinds of important things on the show and then we talk about American Idol and that sets off a thing. And the subject line, I thought you wanted to move the, the conversation forward. That's what we we do. And even when we get emails pushing back on things that we've said, we we love to grapple with that because that's what we want to do here. It isn't just that we say things and we're automatically right and everyone should just believe what we're saying. No, we really want to create an atmosphere where people can talk about their personal experiences, talk about their worldview, share what they think and possibly come around to viewing something differently from our perspective. Well, even the, the, I think it was uh, Ben from Seattle who Mm -hmm. called in. Right. He was a sex abuse survivor. Yes. And I don't think our opinion after we hashed everything out for 15 or 20 minutes, however long the conversation was. Mm -hmm. Too long. (laughs) Yeah, it was probably too long. (laughs) I I don't think he, our, our opinion differed or diverged too far off the track from what his was. Yeah, I don't think so. But l- let's listen to the trauma, I say that tongue-in-cheek, the the victim of the assault, the trickery of Katy Perry, Benjamin Glaze, being interviewed. The whole thing was that I said, I've never kissed anyone because I've never been in a relationship. Okay. And Lionel Richie said, well, I tell you this, bud, you stay on this show and that's about to change. So then they're all kind of laughing and stuff. And then uh, Katy Perry, she kind of interrupts and she goes, wait, 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 wait. So you never kissed anyone. And um, I said, no, I can't kiss anyone without being in a relationship. And then Luke, then it's paused for a second. No one really says anything. Mm -hmm. And then Luke Bryan goes, do you want to kiss Katy Perry? And then I'm kind of uh, like, I'm not sure if I want to, but I didn't say no. And yeah. so a lot of people were thinking that I was completely unaware of what was going on. Okay. Um, that's just simply not true. I, I did know that I had a very good chance of walking up there and getting kissed on the lips. I was kind of half-heartedly seeing if she was actually serious about that. Yeah. And then, <laughs> so I walked up with the, in, with the knowledge that that could happen. Mm-hmm. Um, and it wasn't something like I was thinking, um, oh, man, I cannot believe she's going to do this. She's all creepy and old. You know, it was more like, <laughs> is this really happening? And then she's kind of, you know, calling me up there. I'm, like, getting closer. I'm like, seriously? You're really <laughs> going to kiss me? So it was it was more like that. You know, I think people did get a bit of a wrong story for that. So editing played a role here is basically what he's saying. That that, that part about the warning um, of do, does Katie want to kiss you or That's something? That's right. The, what's his, the, the country guy. Yeah, he was prompted. This was all prompted. And then they didn't show that in the actual clip because, you know, they edit things together in a way that makes it seem more racy and whatever. So he knew. He knew that he was walking up there, right? And we were talking about this earlier. And let's say the situation was reversed. And it was a woman that was auditioning, a 19-year-old woman. And it was back in the old days when it was Simon Cowell and Paula Abdul and Randy Jackson. Yeah. And Paula says, do you want Simon Cowell to kiss you? And the girl says, oh, I wonder if he's actually going to do it if I approach, you know? That would be a different thing, you know, than come here right now, you know, demanding yeah. that the girl come up to the thing with no prompting. You didn't know that there because was prompting. Because of that power dynamic. Right. Yeah. Um, so it does change what happened a little bit because he knew. And then he even says, I was walking up there wondering, oh, is she really going to kiss me? Is she really going to kiss me? 
Yeah. Even the way he's saying it, it isn't, I was walking up there and I, I didn't know what to do. I felt like I was pressured. Well, let's, let's listen to the second half of what he said. Um, it, it, it doesn't get much better for those who believe he was assaulted on, on TV. I think it has completely divided the ocean. Honestly, there's a lot of people saying that uh, that it was, you know, sexual assault. And then there's a lot of people on the other side saying that, you know, oh, it's fine. It was just a kiss and everything. I, um, you may know that I've, I've personally honestly taken Katy Perry's side on this. I think that she was, um, she was honestly just messing around. And I think in the moment it was a, it was a lighthearted thing, mm-hmm. but it was not something that, I don't know. I think personally I enjoyed it and I could go, I would go back and do it again. Let me ask you this. This is for the audience. What sexual assault survivor, rape victim, harassment victim says that? Ah, if given the chance, I would do that again. Right. This kid wasn't assaulted. He's not a victim. Mm-hmm. He would do it again. Right. This is from the victim. This, this is from is, the quote unquote victim. Th- yeah, this is. Benjamin Blaze. This is not a transcript. That's him. Yeah. Freely talking about this. Right. So to Mary in Colorado, I just want to say, I think that this may be a situation where uh, Mary saw the edited American Idol clip that was edited in a way that made it seem more dramatic to, to probably have this controversy be stirred up because their ratings are terrible right now. Oh, are they? Yes. Very, very (laughs) bad. So um, this was probably by design. To start this conversation. Very well could be. This is how reality TV operates. And so to be fair to Mary in Colorado, um, she probably just saw that. And then that was her impression given what she saw. Could be. But now we have this background information and we have statements specifically from the quote unquote victim. And he's saying what he's saying. So I think it's important to go with what he believes to be the case and what his feelings are about sure. the situation. The other thing I would caution everyone, not necessarily Mary, because I don't know. Uh, if this was the case, but I think this is a lesson in not allowing internet outrage to inform how we think about things. Just because the internet loses its goddamn mind about something doesn't mean the internet is right, that Twitter collectively is right, that the Facebook outrage is correct. Think about it. I mean, that's... That's a part of moving the conversation forward is talking about it with one another. Yeah. Really hashing it out. Mm -hmm. What Mary went through, hands down, no debate needs to be had. That is vicious assault, Mm -hmm. criminal behavior. And that man should be prosecuted to the fullest extent of the law. Predator. Fucking predator. Mm Mm-hmm. It's it's an unfair comparison mm-hmm. to make, I believe, mm-hmm. what happened with the Katy Perry thing and the Benjamin Glaze thing. Right. And even what happened to Mary or or countless right. victims of terrible traumas mm-hmm. like this. It's it's not it's not fair to the Marys of the world. Yeah. So uh listen, again, we appreciate your listenership, Mary. 
Uh, thank you for reaching out, even if it's dissenting. We we love the dissent. Yeah, and for sharing your personal experience with us. Yeah, it, it's it's important. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't listen. I, I I don't have that experience to draw from to inform uh, uh, opinions like that. So it is always good because it weaves in a richer tapestry to 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 what we're doing here and to the conversation at ho- as a whole. Right. Uh, we'd love to know what you think. Again, 657-464-7609. You can always email a voice memo from your smartphone to idoubtit at dollamore.com. We have one last voicemail. This is going to turn into a, a marathon show. Mm-hmm. But that is okay. Perfect. We love it. Marathon shows, that is. Yes. Because they're longer. Mm-hmm. Like a marathon. Mm-hmm. It's kind of long. <laughs> <laughs> Hey guys, it's Daria from New Hampshire. I hope you're both doing great. Um, you guys have been recently talking about a lot of topics, obviously. Um, but I kind of had a question for y'all. So, I was, you guys both come from very interesting backgrounds. I think you guys talked about being former Republicans and being a Marine and coming from a white supremacist background, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so I was wondering if given your backgrounds and given where you are now, if there's any behaviors or anything that you particularly had to unlearn. Um, so that was just, I was just curious, like, is there anything that, like, in your transition to where you are now, did you have to unlearn anything? And what was that thing that you had to unlearn? Or was there any behavior or assumption that you had to realize that you had to challenge um, in your progression as to where you are now. So, yeah, that was my main question. Also, I had a, yeah, I was just hoping you guys are having a wonderful day. Um, I love hearing you guys online. love hearing your podcast. You guys have also really nice laughs, by the way. Every time you guys laugh, I just, like, have to laugh because it's, like, a really good, contagious laugh. But, yeah, um, hope you guys are doing great, and have a nice day. Bye. <laughs> Bye. Bye. Uh, Listen, uh, having gone from being a conservative Republican, I worked on Capitol Hill. I was a political appointee appointed by a conservative Republican. I was in the Marine Corps. I mean, that doesn't really, I don't change my views based on that. That's not like Mm -hmm. something I I believed. It's just what I was or what I am. Mm -hmm. Once a Marine, always a Marine. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? Mm Um. All my life, through my life, I mean, I think the most recent thing that I re- well, the most recent thing I changed my mind on was uh, the gun issue. Mm-hmm. That we should have an assault weapons ban. That happened after the Vegas shooting. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm ever evolving. When when new information gets presented, I change because that's what people I believe should do. Mm-hmm. When you're presented with new information, you should alter the way you think about things. But all through my, you know, from my, all my adult life, having, you know, gotten gradually more and more liberal and detached from the, the way I was raised, there are all, all kinds of moments where I think to myself, this is what I think about this. Is that because of how I was raised? Is that because of things I'm holding on to? It'll happen with politicians, for instance, mm-hmm. where I'll think, I don't like that guy. I don't like that gal. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm not a fan of Nancy Pelosi or Chuck Schumer right now. Mm-hmm. And 
it happens a lot that I even revisit it. Is that because I used to be a Republican and I didn't like them then? Mm-hmm. And I've concluded, no, it's just because I don't like them. <laughs> but I'm, I'm always having to recalibrate. Mm-hmm. Think about making sure that the reason I believe something isn't because of, oh, that's just always the way I've thought about it. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. So that's what you've had to unlearn is that kind of response, just automatic response yeah. to... Yeah, well, also, you know, really focusing in on taking in the new, like, for instance, trickle-down economics, mm-hmm. Reaganomics, it's called, you know, uh, nicely, it's called Reaganomics, mm-hmm. um, supply-side economics. I-, I used to think it was a surefire, that's the way it is, that's how you do economic growth, and then once we watched the experiment run by Governor Sam Brownback in Kansas, where he's almost bankrupted his state doing it, mm-hmm. the purest form of it we've ever seen and now they're they're running crazy deficits and running up debt. Their credit's been downgraded. We know it doesn't work. Oklahoma right now is facing the same kind of thing. So you just you need to change your mind willfully, willingly, and and openly. And you don't have to be embarrassed about it. Just like, I was wrong about that. Yeah. So anyway, how about you? Well, I like that. Um we were kind of like combined in that call. <laughs> yeah. Um, you weren't a Republican. No, I was not a Republican. Wow, n- nice face. <laughs> Your eyes went wide like, uh, no. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's never been a thing. Um, but I was the one raised uh, in a white supremacist household. Yes, um, I was not. And like we say, that's not like a, you know, ha ha, I have a racist Uncle Gary too. No, it's like real yeah. white supremacist going to Aryan nations, the whole thing. Um, and I think if I have to look at what I had to unlearn in order to get to where I am now, uh, one of the big ones would probably be um, a loss of kind of this knee-jerk protection of family members just because they're family. Yeah, um, sure. And I think letting down that guard was one of the largest stepping stones into like normalcy <laughs> where this recognition that you have of family members as being fallible and wrong and just because they're bad, it doesn't mean you're bad. Yeah, um, sure. That's and, huge. And that admitting that they have flaws doesn't mean that you're flawed as well, and that you can be different, and it's okay. You don't need to be the same as them in order to continue like a connection with them or something. Um, but I think that's that's the biggest one is recognizing that just because you come from this family, it doesn't mean that you need to have those beliefs or be connected to it at all is what yeah. I'm saying. Making sense. Yeah, Cause you're no, looking sure. at me like, no, I'm, it just, it, it always touches me every time you talk about this stuff because you have, um, come such a long way mm-hmm. out of that. I mean, uh, the, the girl whose family moves to Idaho to be closer to racists. And then you, you have a master's degree. And so, I mean, it's it, goddamn, it's awesome. You're, you're a storybook ending that people, when they talk to you, they don't, you know, when there's been guests on the show, one in particular, we won't say who it is, but he says, you know, you're little miss Newport beach. Mm-hmm. Having no idea the, the climb that you've had to make to get to where you are today, the obstacles. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. I was, it, uh, it, it, I, I don't know why it's more emotional for me than it is for you. <laughs> Well, thank you. But it is. I, <laughs> so. 
Um, also, I would say uh, I am getting emotional, by the way. I'm having to uh, tamper it down because we're on YouTube. Uh, so <laughs> <laughs> I would also say that I had to. Um, so amazing. I had to unlearn a similar thing that you were talking about where you just have to recognize your biases. And um, I had to recognize that it's OK to be wrong. And it's actually okay not to know things and like not to have an opinion about things. You don't need to have an opinion about everything. And it's actually better to wait until you have the knowledge before you start spouting off about things. Yeah, sure. Um, and so I think that that's been the biggest thing for me continuing to develop is kind of having um, doubt self-doubt um being critical and making sure that i emphasize evidence and yes. um i i try to figure out what is accurate um and and that it's okay to be wrong and when you have discussions to recognize that you can be changed by those discussions and to be open to that as well because ultimately that is what uh got me out of my situation as well as having conversations with people and them telling me where did you hear that you know, yeah. and, and I was open to it. I'm like, oh, wait, that's not right. So I think it's important to be like that. And unfortunately, uh, too many people aren't because it's scary. And it is. It's scary. Sure. It, it hurts to be wrong. It hurts to be told that you're wrong. It hurts to not know things. You feel stupid. You feel inadequate. Those aren't good things to feel. But the thing is, if you open up and you allow that information to come in, then you do become adequate. You do become someone who's knowledgeable, and that's a better place to be. L let me say this. Um, it is far better, and you're looked upon as far better and stronger if you are. If people watch you say, wow, yeah, I, you changed my mind. I, I don't believe that anymore, given this new evidence. Right. People are like, Holy shit, that, that is awesome. Yeah. Rather than you just digging in your heels, being recalcitrant about it. Yeah. That they are people are amazed by that because it's so rare. Yeah. Modeling it's, good behavior. It, it is it, <laughs> people will look at you as a stronger, more stable individual. Yeah. If you openly, like, yeah, hey, you know what? I was wrong about this. Uh, you changed my mind. Be open to that. Yeah. Anyway, um, we're gonna talk about Tucker Carlson right after the break. Support for I Doubt It with Dollamore comes from generous, engaged, intelligent, and good-looking listeners like you by way of Patreon. Your support on Patreon for as little as a dollar a month helps keep the show going and move the conversation forward one podcast at a time. If you would like to join the ever-growing family of supporters, please visit patreon.com slash I Doubt It with Dollamore. Laura. Laura, our latest Patreon supporter. Awesome. Yes. Tremendous support from Laura. We appreciate very much. Hopefully she is on the, the live stream on the YouTubes right now. That would be great. That would be awesome. So uh, if you are not ready to do the Patreon thing and join the Patreon family and take part in the, the monthly Google Hangout calls that we do that are fantastic and the live streams and getting the stickers and all of that, if you shop on Amazon you can help support the show that way. You go to dollamore.com slash Amazon. That'll link you through to Amazon. We get a little portion, like a commission on your sale. You don't spend any more, and we get supported here. That would be fantastic. You can also buy merchandise, swag, at dollamore.info. Also, and this doesn't cost you anything, if you listen to the show on Apple Podcasts, Formerly known as iTunes. Yeah. 
<laughs> we would love to have you rate and review the show. No Th- profanity. No profanity, because iTunes apparently is uh, run by Mormons. Uh, <laughs> they will not post a, a, a review that has pro- profanity, in, even mild profanity. So keep it, keep it clean. Rate and review the show. That helps grow the show, gets us in front of new listeners. Or you could just tell a friend who you think would enjoy the, the program. Twice a week, we do this. It's a good time. It's a very good time. Such a good time. Sometimes even more than twice a week. <laughs> so there's not always crying though. They're they're not always crying. And that wasn't even that was mild crying. That was I just have, mild. I have gone full boob fest on the show. We both have. Yeah. It's happened. So before we get to Dollamocracy and all the Trump news and all the chaos in the Trump administration, let's get to what we've been teasing. We've been talking about um Tucker Carlson and his full, full transformation. Into idiot. Into racist alt-right territory. For several weeks on Wednesday, he's been having his men in crisis, which means white men in crisis segment on his show, where he takes up for men's rights activist causes. Like no one has a brain and can't process the information. These ridiculous premises that we talked about last time on the show. Well, here's another edition of him talking about a racist alt-right conspiracy theory. It's called white genocide, except he's talking about it with more, you know, Tucker Carlson, Fox News kind of language. A recent piece in National Geographic tells you a lot about demographics in America and about how bewilderingly fast they're changing without any real public debate on the subject. (laughs) The magazine profiles a small coal mining town of Hazleton, Pennsylvania. In the year 2000, Hazleton's population was 2% Hispanic. Just 16 years later, Hazleton is majority Hispanic. That's a lot of change. People who grew up in Hazleton returned to find out they can't communicate with the people who now live there. And that's bewildering for people. That's happening all over the country. No nation, no society has ever changed this much this fast. Now, before you start calling anyone bigoted, consider and be honest, how would you feel if that happened in your neighborhood? It doesn't matter how nice the immigrants are. They probably are nice. Most immigrants are nice. That's not the point. The point is, this is more change than human beings are designed to digest. This pace of change makes societies volatile, really volatile, just as ours has become volatile. And notice where this change is not happening. Any place our leaders live. They caused all of this with their reckless immigration policies, and yet their own neighborhoods are basically unchanged. They look like it's 1960. No demographic change at all in their zip codes. Our leaders are for diversity, just not where they live. Ugh. Okay, so... He's the worst. Yeah, so um, we, we've talked about this a lot on the show because there used to be a person that I would troll a lot on Facebook, and I've been blocked by him now. So, so Someone who was formerly connected to me. We were in the Marine Corps together. Yeah, but he, so he would always share the or he shared this video one time that was about immigration. Okay, very much, very much the same. Um, subject matter that you just heard Tucker Carlson talking about a reduction in the white race. Okay. And these are code words. This is like code language for white genocide. Not even got, not even subtle code language. This is this. These are dog whistles 
that, that, that are used in the racist community. So white genocide, for those of you who don't know, is this conspiracy theory that through mass immigration, racial into integration, uh, low fertility rates, abortion policies, that people are trying to make predominantly white populations into minority white populations. Yes. Okay. Um, and you heard Tucker alluding to all that when he talks about change and demographic change. Yeah, yeah. And the demographics. And there's no debate over it. There's no public debate over why this is happening. What kind of public debate do you want to have about how people can have sex with whoever they want and well, that's part of it is the fact that if a, a a white woman has sex with a black man, they have a mixed baby. That is racial change in America. That is white genocide, yes. according to these fucking racists. Yes, yes. And then immigration is a big one, too. And right. he was talking about that as well. And so it's just strange to hear um, a white supremacist conspiracy theory, white genocide, being talked about so clearly on and Fox News. Openly. Look, we know Fox News is a problematic source of information relative to both fake news and alt-right propaganda, but they're usually more slick than this. Yeah, because the, the concerns of white supremacists when they talk about white genocide is the growing non-white population and yeah. essentially forced assimilation from their perspective. So you hear Tucker talking about that, right? These demographic changes and the people in power, no demographic changes for them. It's still the 1950s where they live. Yeah, oh, what, what, what is he saying there? Well, also, what is he talking about? If, you, if you're one of the leaders, you live in your district, what is he talking about? Not where they live, not in their zip code. <laughs> I'm Tucker Carlson, heir to the Swanson fro frozen food fortune. I'm a super hyper wealthy rich kid, white kid. I know all about this, everybody. Yeah. Ugh. So I want to talk about this privilege discussion being banned. Is this a good time to uh, talk about it? It's a perfect time. Okay. So this happened at a school in the Ocknawak area <laughs> it's a word i cannot say is that in florida no it's um like 35 miles outside of milwaukee oh okay okay and they walk yeah probably not how to say it. it's not but let's go with Ocknawak. 100 not how to say it but i tried my best <laughs> right. and that's all i can do that's all we can expect um so <laughs> this school they held a discussion about social privilege it wasn't even white privilege. Right. It was about social well, privilege. Because what happens off, oftentimes, if you specify the kind of privilege, which I think is a mistake just from a messaging standpoint, white people get afraid. Mm -hmm. It freaks people out. Yes, and that's what happened in this community. But they didn't even talk about white privilege. They just talked about social privilege. Yeah, and it was a Martin Luther King Day exercise, so it was particularly relevant mm -hmm. um, sure. and this predominantly white community was very unhappy and um said that they essentially do not want this discussion uh <laughs> that it is too much for children to be talking about okay what, do we know what grade um i think it was just the i don't know like a school exercise oh okay I don't know. okay yeah sure but there's ways to to uh, posture this discussion for really any age group and it's an important discussion to have with kids because as early as they can recognize 
that some people don't have it as good as them, it's a good time to talk about it. Mm -hmm. Anyway. Yeah, so the parents don't want this um, this this discussion to happen. And basically, the kids just took this privilege aptitude test that you can download from the National Civil Rights Museum. Mm-hmm. And it's a little exercise where there's 12 questions and you answer yes or no. And it's just to get you thinking about... The privileges that certain people have that other people might not have. And I get I see you're getting ready to take it. Do not because it's aimed toward kids. Oh, okay. So it's going to ask you questions <laughs> about what kind of toys you like to play with. And uh, please don't answer that. Uh, um, <laughs> I was yeah, pen at the ready. I was ready to do it. Yeah. So some of them relate to skin color. Okay. Uh, the first question, when I go to the store, people do not look at me and think I may steal something. Okay. That's huge. Um, but not all of them are related to race. The second one is as a boy, I can play with dolls or as a girl, I can play with trucks without anyone questioning my choice. Yeah. Okay. So that one's about or gender. I'm, I'm not taught to fear walking alone after dark in average public places. Yeah. That's not race. That's That seems to me to be a gender thing. Right. I will not be teased because of my last name. Um, yeah. Things like that. So... It's just interesting to me that this exercise, which seems so beneficial, was so threatening that people are complaining to the school board and asking that it be banned or that there are limits to be placed on these types of discussions because... It's weird. I mean, so everyone wants to talk about, we need to talk about bullying and all these students need to be inclusive in order to counter the school shootings that are happening. Well, this is kind of where inclusion starts, is it not? Where you learn to recognize your, that your life is different from other people's lives. Fostering empathy right, in kids. Right, and that you have certain experiences that other kids might not have. Also, especially for kids, because kids are dicks. Kids, <laughs> kids, it, it be, and it, it's not that all kids are dicks, it's all kids are dicks. Because it's built into their brain. They're not thinking of, they're thinking of themselves. They, they process things from a, oh, how does this affect me? Mm-hmm. Now that, that gradually fades. Yeah. But it, it's awesome to have a child reflect on the fact that the way they experience the world might be better than the way, I mean, like a, a better outcome. Mm-hmm. They might have a wealthier family. So many other different data points might be more comfortable than right. someone else. That, right. That's how is that a lose situation? That's a win-win for everybody. Yeah, and a lot of the parent the reactions from the parents, people were saying, you know, we're poor, we're not privileged, the same kind of arguments that you hear, even the same kind of arguments that I used to make when I didn't fully understand the concept. By the way, going back to Daria's call, right. That's another thing that you and I both right. have come around on and that's the concept of privilege white privilege specifically that right. we didn't we used to laugh at it and make jokes about it right and now we're totally on board because it's because so because we get it oh we because we talked about it we had someone on who was very uh, smart about it right who explained taught us. it <laughs> hey, who explained it who taught us and helped us get it okay that it's not ever like white oh you're white whether you're dirt poor in appalachia no you have total privilege and your life is awesome it's not about how awesome your life is it's about how your whatever privilege it is might affect how you're treated going through life. You could still be poor and there are privileges involved with with your condition in life. Right. And you can be Asian and have privilege. 
you can be black and there might be some privilege involved. It's not it's not a cut and dry. Mm-hmm. All white people have it awesome because you have privilege. That's that's not what it's about. Yeah. So this this makes me sad because this exercise seems great. It seems like a great way to facilitate discussion about important issues. Um, a great resource for schools. Um, and it's just unfortunate that parents can't step out of the way and <laughs> um, give their kids an opportunity to, even if they have, if, if they disagree with the exercise to articulate that, yeah. you know, and I don't know if these teachers would have, would have done that. But even um, when I'm working with my students, I always encourage them. If I say something wrong or something you disagree with, tell me because I want to yeah. know and I want to make sure that they are able and feel comfortable telling me when I'm wrong or telling me when they disagree about something. And that would be the opportunity to have a conversation. You know, Mrs. Whatever, excuse me, I don't get this exercise. I'm really poor. I don't feel like I have privilege to have a conversation about that. Um, so it's a bummer. Hey, this just in from a lady who complained. She's not a Christian! <laughs> <laughs> oh, Jesus. All right. <laughs> it's my favorite clip. <laughs> One more time for Britney's sake. She's not a Christian! <laughs> <laughs> it's because I can see her face because I remember watching the episode. That was wife swap, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> All right. Moving on. <laughs> Democracy facing down pessimistic politics with realistic optimism. All right. Well, let's. Something happened this last week. Well, everything happened this last week. This is the way that the Trump news cycle works. But Donald Trump, who has long been, it's been reported that he was going to fire H.R. McMaster, just like it was reported that he was going to fire Rex Tillerson. And the White House would just come out and say, well, that's fake news. I know all you all you reporters, you just want to you want to create this narrative that things are chaotic, but it's not like that at all. Things are great here. It's kumbaya around the White House every day. Well, the reporting was correct about Rex Tillerson and the screams of fake news were wrong. They were fake. They were lies. The same thing with H.R. McMaster. He is out. And John Bolton is in to take his place. But I want to talk about that specifically that every time you hear Donald Trump, almost every single time, let's say, not always, but almost every time you hear Donald Trump tweeting or, 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 or screaming about fake news, you can be guaranteed that it is a fact, yeah. that it is true. Mm-hmm. He only breaks out fake news... When it's pretty goddamn true. <laughs> You'd think he would just be quiet. Yes. Yes, you would. That would be a good thing. So this is about Tillerson, who just left recently. And this is back in November, this clip, where the White House, Sarah, Sarah Sanders specifically, is being a, a disagreeable, smug, confrontational lady. Laid. To, to the, the reporters who are asking questions about the reports. That Tillerson's getting ready to go. 
Look, as we've said many times before, as uh, many of you love to write these type of stories, uh, when the president loses confidence in someone, they will no longer uh, serve in the capacity that they're in. The president was here today with the Secretary of State. Uh, they engaged in a foreign leader visit and are continuing to work together uh, to close out what we've seen to be an incredible year. Cecilia. So can we deduce from that that the president has confidence in the Secretary of State? I think I addressed that pretty clearly just now. Is that a yes? As I just said, and as we've said many times before, when it comes to questions like this uh, of senior staff and cabinet secretaries, when the president loses confidence in somebody, they'll no longer be here. Uh, as the president said uh, on the record, and several of you were in the room in the Oval today, uh, the Secretary of State is here, and we're working hard to uh, get big things accomplished and close out what's already been a very strong and positive year. What's Matthew? the future in the administration? I'm sorry? What's his future in the administration? Oh, I think his future right now is to continue working hard as a Secretary of State, continue working with the President uh, to carry out his agenda. Matthew? And no, he's fired. He's gone. And Pompeo, the CIA, the CIA chief, is going to be the new Secretary of State, uh, barring some unforeseen thing uh, with with confirmation in the Senate. Mm -hmm. But this is another clip also from November when it was speculated there was reporting that Pompeo was going to take the job of Tillerson. And when all this broke, what did they do? No, those are lies. Those are lies. That's fake news. You guys just want to cause problems. You just want to write stories like this. And here we are. All the reporting was correct. The fake news media had it exactly right. I really am curious about the timing here. The president looks like he might be on the brink of a major legislative success, his first. Why now, for goodness sakes? Well, President Trump later or earlier this afternoon, David, saying, quote unquote, Rex is here, end quote, not really putting to rest the rumors that his current secretary of state would be out by the end of the year. But Marty's absolutely correct. These rumors have been circulating all throughout Washington for months. Uh, of course, the secretary of state has received some criticism for his lack of involvement as well as uh, lack of presence in Washington, D.C., as well as dealing with the United Nations. U.N. Ambassador Nikki Haley receiving a lot of praise. And, uh, for, for what she had done with regards to North Korea and representing the world on the U.N. stage. I can tell you this, though. Mike Pompeo seamlessly made that transition from Congress to uh, leading the CIA uh, and really does have that close personal relationship with President Trump that we have seen at times the president and Secretary of State Rex Tillerson have some tension. So, of course, this is a president who deals on personal relationships and loyalty, uh, and there's no question that CIA director Mike Pompeo has earned uh, that trust and personal relationship with the president. So let me guess, the media, they're just a bunch of psychics. <laughs> they just uh, took a stab in the dark and coincidentally, they got it right. Mm -hmm. No. Mm -hmm. It's the White House is filled with liars. Donald Trump, Sarah Huckabee Sanders are a couple of bald-faced liars who, who do it with no shame. Yeah. It is sickening that she can stand there and be an asshole to the people in the press gallery. Yeah. And then a week later, what did she tweet, by the way, regarding um, the latest one, McMaster? Yeah. So on March 15th, okay, not that long ago. No. <laughs> 
just spoke, 10 days from today just spoke to at potus and hr mcmaster contrary to reports they have a good working relationship and there are no changes at the nsc hmm and friday he's out so a week Things later just changed so quickly what are you gonna do yeah, effectively it was a week later one week from that tweet right and they were screaming fake news too he's screaming fake news yeah well, and she she is. She's very dismissive of the press when they ask questions and say, there are these reports, Sarah, that um, the relationship here is a little rocky, that something may be going on. Can you speak to that? And she laughs it off. And yeah, she's dismissive. Yeah, I know you guys want to write stories like this. Yeah, and then it well, comes out and it's stories, true. They're writing stories about it because it's true. Exactly. Yeah, and it, it just seems she goes a step beyond just not having shame. She's hostile and aggressive, yeah. and it's very strange to watch. Now, I Sean want... Spicer seemed like a little ashamed when he would go up there sometimes. <laughs> because he'd done that job in the past. And she just, she's not. Yeah. Soulless. Yeah, she's totally fine with what's going on. So I pulled this clip. This is from August of last year. And this should give everyone pause. Even in August, they were talking about intelligence, about how the Russians didn't like H.R. McMaster. He was not their guy. They loved Mike Flynn. He was their guy. They did not like H.R. McMaster. And where is he now? He's out of a job. The nationalist uh, wing of President Trump's political coalition has been waging a full-bore information campaign, sometimes misinformation campaign, uh, to remove... Lieutenant General H.R. McMaster from his position as President Trump's national security advisor. The New York Times is reporting that the top hashtag among 600 Twitter accounts linked to Russian influence operations on Thursday was hashtag fire McMaster. What can you tell us about this Russian influence operation? Well, you know, we saw this during the campaign that the Russians use uh, their paid social media trolls. They use bots uh, in order to push things as part of their active measures campaign uh, in that sense to try to influence the election, in this sense to try to potentially influence the firing of a top uh, Trump campaign or not campaign, but Trump administration official, the national security advisor. Uh, I think it's indicative of the idea that the Russians don't particularly like General McMaster. Uh, They may not like his policies, what he's advocating with administration, or they may just be seeking to sow further discord among Trump administration officials, feeling that that would weaken the administration. Uh, I think General McMaster is a good man. I met him in Afghanistan when he was working there. I think he's a straight shooter. Uh, and uh, and I hope that uh, the president will ignore those voices. He's one of the people, frankly, one of the few people that people on both sides of the aisle have confidence in that are within this administration. That was August. It was seven months ago. Now, it would seem logical that a, from a strategy standpoint, from a messaging standpoint, from an optics standpoint, you would keep him on so it doesn't look so obvious that you're getting rid of the guy that Russia doesn't like. (laughs) That looks like what they did. And now they're replacing him with John Bolton. Mm. Lorax. The Lorax, Brittany calls him, because of his giant push broom mustache. He looks like the Lorax. (laughs) One time in... no. (laughs) I had a math professor in college who looked so much like the Lorax that I walked into the classroom and I gasped. <laughs> I was like, oh, 
oh my god and i sat down and i was like looking at everyone trying to figure out do they see that the lorax is teaching this class and i was asking people i'm like hey do you you know the lorax (laughs) come on really yeah i'm like he looks like the lorax right the cartoon one (laughs) he looks like the cartoon lorax god damn so (laughs) let's talk about this new guy john bolton Mm -hmm. john bolton is a problem for america John Bolton is a problem for the world because there's, you know, kind of hawkish on defense. There's kind of a pro-military use character in these positions. And then there's John Bolton, who only two or three weeks ago wrote an op-ed making a legal argument for a first strike against North Korea, an unhinged nuclear power. That's who Donald Trump is going to have chirping in his ear. Donald Trump, who uses phrases like fire and fury, Mm -hmm. who's unhinged on a daily basis anyway. It's been reported and demonstrated that the last person to talk to Donald Trump is the one whose opinion he listens to. Has the upper hand. So when he has this guy in the Oval Office most of the day... Oftentimes, talking about how we have the legal authority to strike North Korea, maybe with even nuclear weapons, that is a problem. This is closer, brings us closer to the brink of nuclear conflict, of just armed conflict with North Korea than we have been. I don't want to be the fear monger, but this is serious. Let's talk about who John Bolton is. President Donald Trump just named John Bolton as his next national security advisor, and he's no stranger to the executive branch. Perhaps most notably, he served as U.S. ambassador to the United Nations during the George W. Bush administration. His nomination to the post was hotly opposed. In the midst of his confirmation process, he came under fire for a decade-old video showing him saying the U.N. only worked at the will of the U.S., Before his post at the UN, he worked at the State Department as Undersecretary for Arms Control. He helped build the case that Saddam Hussein had weapons of mass destruction, the impetus for the 2003 Iraq invasion. Hussein didn't have WMDs. Bolton also worked in the Reagan and first Bush administrations. More recently, he worked for the National Rifle Association as a member of its International Affairs Subcommittee. Just Thursday morning, NPR reported on an appearance Bolton made in a 2013 video produced by a Russian gun rights group pushing for looser gun laws in the country. The founder of the group Bolton recorded that video for, Alexander Torshin, is reportedly at the center of an FBI probe into whether he illegally sent money to the NRA in order to help the Trump campaign in 2016. Bolton is seen as a foreign policy hawk. His appointment in the lead-up to diplomatic talks with North Korea could make things interesting. Here's what he had to say last month about the U.S. having formal talks with the country. It would be fruitless to talk to North Korea. They have talked to us for 25 years, and there is zero evidence that talking in year 26 will make any difference. Bolton is set to take over April 9th. So if we're not going to talk to North Korea, which is debatable whether we should or not, but in, in Bolton's context there, he's talking about if we're not, there's no use talking, we need to act. Well, that's... Listen, 
if we're not going to have bilateral talks, then we need some kind of a situation where, from an international relations standpoint, we have our allies, economic or military, do the talking for us. Get involved. Because no one reasonable wants a military conflict with North Korea. And it's not because North Korea is some overwhelming force, has some outrageously advanced military. They do not. Just like when we went into Iraq, they said, oh, we have a one million man army. It was like the largest army on the planet. It doesn't matter. It doesn't make it capable of defending themselves against the fire and fury, the overwhelming violence of action that we would bring them. But just because we have the ability and just because we have the power to decimate them doesn't mean we must use it. We need to exhaust every diplomatic channel, every effort through economic sanctions, through trade, through squeezing them diplomatically before a military option is used. And I don't see any case unless we have unbelievable actionable intelligence that they are on the brink of pulling the trigger on a nuclear attack should we do a first strike. It is untenable. It is a childlike understanding of foreign relations. It's play, play yard, playground bully bullshit. Yeah, I think one of the the criticisms of Hillary Clinton was how hawkish she was. And I think that when Donald Trump was running, it was played up a little bit. That She's going to start a, get us go to war. Right. And yeah. he he was presented as this option that wouldn't be in that position. And then Cuz he he ran his mouth about how he was opposed to the Iraq war. Right. And and now he has John Bolton. So so now what? Now, he has John Bolton, and also he has Mike Pompeo going to be the Secretary of State, who is also super, super hawkish. So you just have to wonder. I mean, there's just so many instances where yeah. his positions have shifted. He's and- surrounding himself with people who are not just... Um, don't not just not have a problem with war, but seem de- uh, determined to get us into an armed conflict. Right. Also, John Bolton does have some weird ties to Russia, doing gun uh, gun ownership videos and shit. Yeah. For the NRA. Yeah. That's that's a uh, that's weird. Yeah. Anyway, we're going to continue to follow this. Um, uh, it's. It's troubling. We'll just say that. Let's let's hope that cooler heads prevail, smarter individuals prevail. Let's hope that this woman who Donald Trump has nominated to be the the the, administ- the CIA director is not Gina Haspel. Uh, Gina Haspel is not put through. That 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 uh, men like um, Rand Paul carry through on their promise to block her nomination. To block her appointment. To block her confirmation by the United States Senate. It's uh, dangerous times. The midterms cannot get here soon enough. Mm -hmm. A lot of important topics. Taking care of biz. 
Jake Tapper. Jake Tapper. And then he is he is an often taking care of biz. Doesn't always get awarded the taking care of biz at the end of the show. Exactly. But this is not one of those times. Yeah. So first, a little bit of background. We know that Joe Biden again this week talked about um, <laughs> wanting to if, if he had been in high school with Donald yeah. Trump, he would have beat him up. And, of course, Donald Trump had to respond to this in a tweet saying crazy Joe Biden is trying to act like a tough guy. Actually, he is weak, both mentally and physically. (laughs) And yet he threatens me for the second time with physical assault. He doesn't know me, but he would go down. (laughs) He he doesn't know me. (laughs) But he would go down fast and hard, crying all the way. Uh. Don't threaten people, Joe. Okay. Oh, you almost had it. You've got to be quicker than that. <laughs> okay. Um, so this or, is... Or maybe after that tweet, it should have been... <laughs> the more you know. So we have to laugh in order to not cry. Yes. You see, that's what's happening here. So this happened, and it's just a disaster, and it's embarrassing. And uh, Jake Tapper tweeted about it. And kind of explained the situation. And then he said, reminder that between the two of these tough guys are nine Vietnam deferments and claims they couldn't serve because of asthma and bone spurs. <laughs> a burn. It's true. A burn for Biden and a burn for Trump. It, it, listen, I, I understand why Biden is doing this because this appeals to your everyday working class guy. He's those Trump voters he's trying to win back. He's I, running. I get it. I get it. But these are two elderly dudes who are grandpas. <laughs> They're not kicking anyone's ass at all. Yeah. The only thing that kicks their ass is getting up and not hurting in the morning when they walk to the bathroom. That's the only ass kicking that's happening. Yeah. Oh, my knees. My knees. My back. Uh. Yeah. I yeah. also, I want to say that interesting interesting things have happened when um, I've seen fellow liberals post about this whole thing with Joe Biden and, and Donald Trump, and they get criticized by other liberals and people kind of take up for Joe Biden a little bit. And that's weird to me because this shouldn't be happening. And I don't care who we think would win or who, whatever, this shouldn't be happening. And we shouldn't be taking up for anyone that's engaging in this kind of behavior. I understand that Donald Trump is president and he shouldn't respond. Right. But Joe Biden was vice president and he's had a lifelong career in politics. And he aspires to be president exactly so it's so does the rule that trump if he does it on the campaign trail well you you can't because you're eventually going to be president Mm -hmm. Uh, why is that not the rule for joe biden that we would hope that he wouldn't bring that into the white house with him and if we have all this audio of him acting like a tough guy yeah i don't want this to be the new routine i don't want this to be the new way that our leaders behave i don't want that to be the case Uh, i agree so i i hope that People will stop. (laughs) Easy as that. We are going to leave you there. Listen, I I mentioned it earlier, I think before we actually turned the mics on for the YouTube audience, but we are on the precipice. I've used that word multiple times today. I don't think think you've done it on the show. Right on the edge, everybody. We are lemmings on the edge of the cliff, getting ready to jump off, of having 10,000 people like the Facebook page. Please. Go to Facebook. Look up I Doubt It with Dollamore. It's really just Facebook.com slash I Doubt It with Dollamore. And go like the Facebook page. We, we are just like 100 away or so 
from 10,000 likes. That is just a, that would be a landmark achievement for us because it's, it's tough to make a, to make your way on, on, on the Facebook. It is. And there's no cross pollination. Yeah. We have we almost triple that who listen to the show. Yeah. And come on, man. Yeah. Help me out. Yeah. Well, and be sure to follow us on Twitter as well. Yes. At I doubt it podcast at Brittany E page at Dollamore. We also have an Instagram, all the same handles. Uh, be sure to follow us on those because we, uh, we update them. Uh, if there's breaking news, we try to put it there. If there's funny little memes that we see, we post them there. So when you're not listening to us twice or more a week, then you can get a little dose of I Doubt It on the various pages. Yeah, and we, we interact, so it's a good time. Yeah. Uh, we're going to go. We love you. We appreciate you. One more time with the phone number and the email address, 657-464-7609. Of course, you can always email a voice memo to communicate with us. I Doubt It at dollamore.com. We love you. We appreciate you. And we will see you next time. For Brittany Page, I am Jesse Dollamore. And this has been, I doubt it. How about kids, instead of looking to someone else to solve their problem, 